Amen. Please be seated. If you have a Bible with you, you can open to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 6. The text is printed on the next page of the bulletin also. Matthew 6. We're easing into a series on uh, the Lord's Prayer that will take us up until Advent. Um, I say easing into it because we've got a few introductory sermons, um, actually, before we get to the actual text of the Lord's Prayer that we commonly recite uh, on Sunday mornings during worship. Um, Last week, we saw uh, the disciples asking Jesus to teach them to pray, and we thought about our own lifelong need um, to request the same thing of Jesus, to be uh, constant learners of the Lord's way of prayer. Um, Next week, we'll kind of look at uh, the last couple of verses right before the Lord's Prayer, um, where Jesus is talking to those who pray kind of like the Gentiles. They pray like irreligious folks pray. Uh, This morning, we're talking about um, how religious folks pray. Um, This morning, we'll look at the part of uh, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, which is uh, chapters 5 through 7 of Matthew's Gospel. The Sermon on the Mount that introduces his teaching on prayer. And actually, he, uh, he introduces more than just prayer here. Uh, in the text we're going to read, he's talking about religious righteousness in general. Um, he's already told his disciples in Matthew 5 that their righteousness, if they're going to inherit the kingdom of God, uh, their righteousness has to exceed the righteousness of kind of standard religious folks, right? The scribes and the Pharisees. Uh, who are representative of religious people. <clears throat> then in, uh, in Matthew 6, he goes on to apply this, this concept of having righteousness that exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees. Uh, he, he applies that to three activities that are common in, in really all, all religions, um, almsgiving, giving to the poor, uh, prayer, and fasting. We're not going to look at the section on fasting uh, during this series, but uh, Jesus contrasts Christian righteousness with the righteousness of the standard religious folks. He exposes what usually goes on inside the hearts of religious people, um, and he he warns us away from those motives that are behind our religion, behind our righteousness, uh, our religious expressions, and he tells us how his followers instead are to engage in these activities. So we need to hear what Jesus is saying here, especially as it relates to prayer since it's, uh, it's our default mode to get prayer wrong, uh, to have the wrong motives for prayer. So if we want to engage in true prayer, then we need a serious heart check, and Jesus is always good for that. So um, let's, let's pray and ask him for his help as we consider his word. <clears throat> Lord Jesus, you spoke uh, these words thousands of years ago into a different culture, yet they contain truth. They are truth uh, for all cultures, for all times, and for all peoples who uh, would pursue God's will, pursue God's um, perspective on the world. And so we come and we sit at your feet as your disciples, and we are eager to listen and to learn from you, and where uh, we are not eager to listen and learn We pray that you would make us eager by your Spirit, and that uh, by your Spirit you would make clear to us what you want us to know from your word this morning. We pray this in your name. Amen. 
Matthew 6, verses 1 through 6. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray... You must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God. So uh, Jesus throws around the word hypocrite a few times there. It's a little bit uncomfortable, isn't it? Um, in, in classical Greek, um, so actually the, the Greek language that kind of was, was being spoken before uh, the New Testament was uh, written down, but um, in classical Greek, the, the word hypocrite was used of uh, actors, right? That was its first usage was of actors who wore masks, as they became different people and played their characters on stage uh, for, for other people. Right. Um, came to be used, this word, uh, came to be used of people who pretended to be something that they weren't. And I think that we're all familiar with this concept, right? When um, somebody puts on kind of a holier-than-thou attitude, uh, the first word that comes to our mind is hypocrite. Uh, who are they to pretend that they're better than the rest of us? Now, it's really a, a big problem when hypocrite is pretty much the first synonym for Christian in everybody's mind in our culture. Right? The Christian church, what a bunch of hypocrites. I mean, that's standard. Do you think that's a legitimate accusation? Uh, D.A. Carson on this passage says this. There are different kinds of hypocrisy. In one, the hypocrite feigns goodness but is actually evil and knows he is being deceptive. So that's obviously bad, right? In another, the hypocrite is carried away by his own acting and deceives himself. Such pious hypocrites, though unaware of their own deceit, do not fool most onlookers. So I think this is probably the, the most common kind of hypocrite in the church. Friend, you need to know that when, you, when you're putting on the religious show, most people know it. Most people know it uh, instinctively and are creeped out by it. Right? Maybe we've convinced ourselves that we're really good actors, but people can usually smell our hypocrisy from a mile away. When you subtly drop hints about how well the whole spiritual thing is going for you and for your family... Ordinary people can see what you're doing and they're turned off. The problem is that we can't detect it in ourselves nearly as easily as other people can detect it in us. A friend of mine likens religious hypocrisy to bad breath. It's like the first thing people notice when you open your mouth, but you have no clue. You have no clue. 
we're really good at deceiving ourselves, which is a terrifying thought. And it's especially terrifying when you realize how spiritually deadly this is. When you do good things, like giving and like prayer, from a bad motive, but you're sure that you're doing them from a good motive, then you're in big trouble, aren't you? You really have no idea that you are not right with God. You think you are, and you're not. And you have no idea. You need someone else to step in and to show you what's really going on inside of your heart. I need that. D.A. Carson continues, a third kind of hypocrite deceives himself into thinking that he's acting for the best interests of God and man and also deceives onlookers. It takes a really gifted actor to pull this one off. I'm not sure I can do it, and I'm supposed to be a professional, right? A professional hypocrite. Um, So which kind of hypocrite is Jesus talking about here when he's talking about these hypocrites who give or who pray in public to be seen by people? The answer is it doesn't really matter. The point is that um, religious people are often pretenders. They put on a show of spirituality to get others to think well of them. Ultimately, it's not just so that others think well of you. It's so that you can think well of yourself. But Jesus says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. Regarding giving, for example, he says, he knows that there's something in our hearts that desires to call attention to ourselves and elevate our own uh, supposed generosity, to toot our own horns, as it were, blow the trumpets before us as we give. He says the hypocrites give not because they're truly generous people, And not for the sake of pleasing God, but so that they may be praised by others. And again, Carson says, to attempt to live in accord with righteousness, but out of motives eager for men's applause, is to prostitute that righteousness. And instead, Jesus says that when you give, and a little bit side note here, it's not if you give, right? It's when you give. And this is um, giving that kind of goes above and beyond the standard baseline expectation of 10% tithing, that concept that's all throughout the scriptures. This is not tithing that people are doing. This is giving to the poor. This is extra, like we have a a monthly um, diaconal offering to give extra, right, Um, to give to the poor, to the needy, right, to the widow and the orphan. Uh, And it's not if you give like that sacrificially. It's when you give like that. Not only should you not inform other people for applause, you shouldn't even inform yourself. Um, Maybe that's impossible, right? You shouldn't dwell on it yourself, right? He says, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. So, um, you know, when that offering plate comes by, keep your left hand in your pocket, fumble around through your wallet with your right hand, get it in there, no, right? It's once you've dropped the check in the offering, you shouldn't ever play that tape in your mind again. Right? You should not congratulate yourself on your generosity. That was a pretty big check I just dropped in there. Even if you don't tell other people, do not play that tape in your mind again. Right? Do not let yourself dwell on your righteousness. Right? Once you've done that, even if you've not told other people for the praise of men, you've still prostituted righteousness 
for self-worship, for self-adulation. And in the same way, Jesus goes on and says, prayer is completely perverted if you pray in order to be seen or in order to be well thought of by other people. I think this is especially difficult for people in my situation where I'm supposed to pray publicly on a regular basis. But have you ever had someone compliment you on a prayer? Family gathering for Thanksgiving. Wow, that was a lovely prayer. That was very nice. Have you ever fished for a compliment on that prayer? Have you ever prayed publicly then imagined people complimenting you on your prayer. It doesn't have to be public either. I mean, this this kind of sin uh, infects our private prayers as well since it's a matter of motivation. Have you ever thought, have you just been compelled to figure out how you could maybe subtly drop in some conversation what your quiet time was like, hoping to impress someone? You know, I was enjoying my daily time with the Lord at 5 a.m. this morning. And I prayed for you. Um, If you're honest with yourself, you know that you do this without thinking. Uh, For example, you know, young guys do this to impress their girlfriends. At least that's what I did when I was dating Jerry Lee. Uh, How do you think I landed such a catch? Um... You know, our false piety, it just gets creepier from there, right? We abuse it. We abuse uh, visible righteousness. Uh, and it's not just with regard to giving and prayer and fasting, Jesus says a little bit later. It's with all of our righteousness. Um, I mean, I can I just keep giving, I could give you example after example of how I, how I do this. Uh, I can remember vividly so many times in college going to chapel, or in church, where I've sat near the front and really gotten into worship, lifting up my hands and singing really loudly so that people can hear my awesome voice. You know what I mean, right? I'm not the only one uh, who does this. Thinking primarily about impressing people who are around me, right? Um, maybe for you, it's not singing or prayer. Maybe it's service, Maybe it's hospitality, some other visible expression of your religion. Right? Giving is good, prayer is good, all those things are good, but sinful motives corrupt those good things. They corrupt our righteousness. DeMar Lloyd-Jones says, Nothing is quite so fallacious as to think of sin only in terms of actions. Like, I did something bad, right? I broke one of the Ten Commandments visibly and publicly, right? Nothing is so fallacious as to think of sin only in terms of actions. And as long as we think of sin only in terms of things actually done, we fail to understand it. The essence of the biblical teaching on sin is that it is essentially a disposition. It is a state of heart. Sin is ultimately self-worship. So what's the best way to worship ourselves and think we'll get away with it? It's by doing all the right things. It's by saying all the right things. Being a good, righteous Christian, that's the best way to do it. To worship ourselves and be convinced that we've gotten away with it. And what Jesus is saying here can be summed up in the question, why? Why do you want to live a good life? Why do you want to be righteous? Whom are you trying to please? 
If you're practicing righteousness to please yourself or to please others, then you need to repent of your righteousness. You need to repent of your prayers if they're made for your own glory. What other religion talks like this? You might not be performing visible lowercase s sins, but capital S, sin, is driving your righteous deeds. And in God's sight, as the prophet says, that amounts to filthy rags. And for those of you who are not accustomed to the euphemisms of the Bible, that is to say that ostentatious false piety, like some of our prayers are, are about as good as used maxi pads. When you are more concerned about what people think of your prayer than you are concerned with the God to whom you pray, then you're on the wrong track in a bad way. So what's the remedy for our righteousness that is shot through with sin? Jesus says, um, he says, give in secret. Pray in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. He's not saying that you need to literally do all of your good deeds behind closed doors where no one can see you. He's not saying that you should only pray in private. Like I said, uh, our private prayers can also be infected by sin just as easily as the public ones. When he teaches his disciples to pray, it's a corporate prayer. Our Father in heaven. Now, If all your prayers are corporate, if all of your prayers are in public, you never pray in private, then that might be an indicator, you know, some, some warning flags should be raised there, right? Um, but Jesus isn't forbidding all public prayers or visible expressions of your religion and righteousness. In fact, Jesus has already said in this very same Sermon on the Mount in chapter 5, Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. So it's a good thing when you practice your righteousness visibly if your motive is to glorify God rather than yourself. And that's the key right there. It's all about the heart motive. John Calvin says, Whether a man prays alone or in the presence of others, He ought to have the same feelings as if he were shut up in his closet and had no other witness but God. So when you pray, whether publicly or privately, you need to pray as if the only one that matters is truly God. You've got to get your mind off of yourself, off of the beauty and the eloquence and the righteousness of your prayers. Instead of the self-adulation, we need complete self-forgetfulness in prayer. We need a deep conversion, a true conversion, a spiritual rebirth to become the kind of people who are more consumed with God than we are consumed with our own vainglory. Lloyd-Jones again says, we should have such a love for God that we have no time to think about ourselves. We shall never get rid of self by concentrating on self. The only hope is to be so consumed by love that we have no time to think about ourselves. So what we want is to be able to pray like the psalmist prays in our Old Testament reading. Remember Psalm 63? Totally God-centered. Totally uh, focused on Him. Oh God, You are my God. Earnestly I seek You. My soul thirsts for You. My flesh faints for You as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. 
So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory, because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips, and so on. Isn't that the kind of prayer you wish came from your heart? If we want to have a real, delighted relationship with God with a vibrant prayer life, then we need to be changed on a level where we cannot change ourselves. We can't fix this about ourselves. Jesus is the only one who can get down into our hearts, who can make them new, who can breathe new life into us by his spirit. If you continue your your posturing with your righteousness, continuing on your uh, path of ostentatious piety, then you will forever be a slave to other people's opinions. You will not be able to resist their manipulation. What they think about you becomes supremely important. Wouldn't you love to be free from that? free from the concern for the the approval of other people? Wouldn't you love only to care what God thinks of you? And the gospel, the good news is that um, because of Jesus, God thinks very highly of you. God is enthusiastically pleased with you, and he hears your prayers, and he wants to hear your prayers. You may have lived, you may have performed your righteousness for the praise of men, but Jesus Christ lived entirely, only, and always for God his Father. He always did his Father's will, and he always enjoyed sweet communion with God in prayer. And on the cross, he suffered hell. He suffered the vast, bleak, deafening silence from God that our false piety deserves. And his prayers, all of his righteousness, freely credited to you when you put your trust in him, when you put your faith in him. And now, if you're a Christian, then his heavenly father is your heavenly father. He says it several times in our text. God delights in you as a, a father rejoices in his children. Right? And when your children run up to you and they blab something out, you don't turn them away because they didn't phrase it just right. The eloquence wasn't there. Right? You've got a deep joy and a love for them, and you are more than happy to listen to them go on and on. Right? And it's just like that with God except that his love is deeper and more perfect than any earthly father's love. If you really believe that, then you'll you'll be running constantly to God as your father in prayer. When the gospel catches hold of your heart, then you can't stand the thought that you've ever used your prayers to exalt yourself. You've got to repent of those prayers and rejoice in God's forgiveness. You need to throw yourself on his mercy and cry out to, to him, cry out to Jesus, my, my religion is a sham. It's usually a hindrance to me knowing you more than it is a help to knowing you. I want authenticity in my relationship with God in my prayers. Please cleanse me and change me. I need your help. 
and he'll do it. He'll truly free you from self-love, from seeking the praise of men, and he'll grow in you a real love for God. Your prayers can be a real talk with God, a real conversation, a communion with your Father. And when your eyes are truly on him as your good Father in heaven, then he will freely give you the reward that you most desire in prayer, which is more of himself. A deeper relationship with him, true, secret communion with God, our Father in heaven. For all of your posturing, you'll never achieve that. But it's there, it's free for the asking as a gift of his grace, so ask him for it. Amen. Let's pray together. Jesus, we do ask that you would scour our hearts clean of all sin. That uh, the, the evil motives that drive our righteousness too much would be obliterated by your mercy, that you would overwhelm our hearts uh, with a vision of your Father who loves us because of uh, who you are and what you've done for us, Lord Jesus. We pray that that vision would cause us to have good and true motives as we come to you in prayer. We seek uh, to have true communion with you, with our God, and we know that it is impossible unless you make us new. We know that it is your, your great joy to do that, and we ask for it in your name, for your Father's sake. Amen.